All right, at, at only 520, it feels later than this with it being dark early. Where we were, it actually got dark an hour earlier than here. And so that was very unusual for sunset to be around 430 and it to be dark by 5 o'clock, you know. So uh, that really uh, was an adjustment for us. And about the time we start getting used to it, we come back. So it's good to have a little bit more uh, length in your day, and you feel like you can get some more, a little more done. We're glad you're here and glad you made it back to this evening service. John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 14 through 18. And so when you find that, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer, and then begin in verse 14 of John chapter 3. A very familiar passage, and uh, we certainly look forward to what the Lord has for us. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father, tonight we thank you once again for the precious Word of God. We thank you for the promise that you've given us of, et- of salvation that is eternally secure. We thank you, Lord, for eternal life and the things that you uh, speak about here in this text and others. And we, Lord, we hold those promises dear to our hearts this evening. And uh, as we've looked into that topic this morning, we continue tonight now looking into the Uh, the eternal aspect of what you've given us in the promise of salvation. And we thank you for it tonight. Lord, we just ask you to do your work in our hearts, confirming us and giving us that confidence, that calm assurance that every believer needs as they move forward serving the Lord with their life. And we just ask you now, Lord, to anchor our trust in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 3. Notice in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 15, if you look once again, it says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I want to preach on that topic tonight, that thought of eternal life. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but transa- uh, salvation tonight is the transaction by which God grants to us eternal life. This is what Jesus is talking about in His, in his Word and in this text particularly. He used the example of the Old Testament story where the serpents were biting the people. And they came to Moses and said, what shall we do? Moses brought the matter before God in prayer. And God instructed Moses to set up a serpent of brass and put it on a pole in the midst of the camp. And he said, tell the people when they're bitten of a serpent to come and behold the serpent on the pole. And those who come and look, they will live. And obviously those who do not will perish. Well, as you would know, 
There were some who believed, there were some who did not believe. But those who put their faith in God's instructions, those who did what God said to do, they came and beheld that serpent. Those survived the bites of those poisonous snakes. Those who did not, those who refused to come and look upon that pole, on that serpent when they were bitten, they did not survive. What a story. How could that have anything to do with Jesus? Well, Jesus said it's in this way, just as the serpent was lifted up for those to come and behold. He said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on a cross for those to behold. Just as they put their faith in that serpent of brass, God said, if you come and behold this, you'll live. In the same way we come and we behold Jesus on the cross, we put our faith and trust in Him for salvation so that we can live. And Jesus made that comparison between these two events. I thought about that serpent of brass and I thought, you know, that really wasn't Jesus. It wasn't a picture of Jesus. I wonder why the Lord had them to behold a serpent. Well, I'm not sure if this is what God was thinking, but as I began to contemplate the matter, I, I looked back and I realized that why did they have serpents biting them in the first place? If you remember the story, it was because of their murmuring and their complaining, because of their sinning against God, those fiery serpents came. So what were they doing? God instructed them to come and, and look at this brazen serpent. The serpent represented the punishment of their sins. And so in, in my understanding of this, here we have people coming face to face with their sin in order to be saved and putting their trust in God. You know, that's the way salvation works today. People have to understand, like we said this morning, that they're lost so they can be saved. They have to understand their sin and their guilt before they realize that they're in need of a Savior and a payment to be made on their behalf. When God makes that payment, when we put our faith in Christ, salvation occurs. And salvation is not a process. It's not a project. It's a transaction. It happens instantaneously. Salvation begins the moment one puts faith in Christ and concludes with the changing of our bodies to an incorruptible body. The moment salvation occurs, we have a promise from God, and that promise is of eternal life given to us by God Himself. In our text, it says in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Take a moment, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Titus over in the New Testament. And uh, notice, notice the book of Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So here we have a reference to the fact and to the promise of God about salvation. God is the author. He is the promise of salvation to us. And of course, the writer just throws in the fact that God cannot lie. This is truly a great promise. 
For we find that this promise of eternal life is actually an indirect reference to heaven itself. It's, it's as if we were already there. It's that for sure. Many people have sought eternal life. Still, even others want to know how to get it. This passage and others show us that people as far back as Bible times wanted peace of mind concerning their eternal destiny. And I know that each of us have contemplated this matter as well, a matter of the heart, knowing, knowing that we're saved. The answer is the same today as it was in their time. <clears throat> and we know that salvation is not our work. It is God's work which guarantees us eternal life. So we cannot do anything to secure this eternal life. Jesus indicates here that we must look to Him for that. Just as those in the Old Testament looked to that brazen pole for, to be saved from those serpent bites, if we want to be saved uh, from our sins, we look to the Lord Jesus and He does the saving. Salvation or eternal life is a gift from God. And those that have tried to gain eternal life by their own good deeds will sadly be disappointed, just as we talked about this morning. In an effort to prevent this, Jesus told His listeners to search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And of course, we, we understand from this morning's message, He was directing that to the Pharisees who, who knew the Scriptures, knew the Scriptures well enough to understand how salvation is obtained. And yet the Bible says, and, and Paul indicated, that they were going about trying to establish their own righteousness through the law. And instead, they're going to fall short. We understand, looking at the Old Testament, that Christ fulfilled all of that and promised salvation through the finished work, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. The keeping of the law never saved anyone, nor can it. If someone could have been saved by keeping the law, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. He would have said, keep these commandments. But God gave the law in the Old Testament to show us, to prove to us that we needed a Savior. Because no one has ever been able to keep the law. As a matter of fact, Brother James pointed out in the New Testament that if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. So the law comes as a package. You either keep it all or you have not kept it. If you break one point, you have not kept the law. There's no such thing as nine out of ten. You either do or you don't. That's why Paul said the law is our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. The schoolmaster teaches us that we cannot save ourselves. Over and over, no matter how hard we try, we continue to fail. You know, think about it, the law and how many, how, many, how many laws were given. Look, Adam and Eve only had one law and they couldn't keep it. And the same is true for us tonight. Thank God for Jesus Christ and the finished work that He gave us on the cross, the work of eternal life. So let's see what the Bible says about eternal life. First of all, I want to submit to you tonight that eternal life is a gift from God. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. 
In Romans chapter 6, we'll go to verse 23. And the Bible says there, a very familiar verse, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, it's Christmas time, and at Christmas we, we understand the purchasing and the giving of gifts. When someone offers you a gift at Christmas, they, they purchase the gift, they prepare it, they, they, they wrap it with a, with a nice bow on top, it probably has a label with your name on it, and then at some point it is extended to you. This gift is for you, but it, it is not yours until, until what happens? Until you receive it. It just has your name on it until then. And it may be kept in a special place or under the tree. But it's not your gift until it, until it lands in your hands, until you receive and accept that gift. At that moment, then it, it's yours. Before that, it was for you. It was intended for you. It was offered to you. But it's not yours until you receive it. And then once you receive it, by the way, you receive it freely. No one gives a gift. And then as you receive it, no, no one puts strings attached to that. Well, now, if you wash my car for a week, it's yours. No, 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 we don't give gifts that way. Gifts are free to the recipient. We have to do nothing to earn that gift, simply to accept and receive that gift, and then it is yours. Why? Because the person giving, the giver, paid for the gift. Somebody paid for it. You don't go down to the store and say, hey, I'm purchasing this for Christmas gifts. And they don't say, oh, well, in that case, it's all free. <laughs> no, 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 they still want their money. And so you, you pay the price for the privilege then of giving that gift to the one you love, that friend or family member. Isn't that right? And the Bible says that is what God did for us. Notice in verse 23, it says the gift of God is eternal life. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus paid for the gift on the cross. He purchased it with His own blood. And the Bible says that God offers it to us. The gift of God. Have you received the gift? Have you opened the gift? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? What did He give you? The Bible says He gave you eternal life. Now, unless you read the Bible with the idea already in your mind that you can lose it, you won't find that idea in the Bible anywhere. I, I know, especially as kids, there were times when someone would give you something and then a few minutes later, <laughs> you know, remorse. They want it back. But nowhere in the Bible does, does it ever say God took the gift back. It just doesn't say it. People act like it's something we hold, but the Bible clearly says in Peter that it's something God holds. We'll look at that in a moment. And with that in mind, it's not something then that you and I could lose like some object. It's not like your cell phone that you could misplace and walk away from. There is no losing 
the gift. The Bible doesn't speak of that. Any, any casual reader of the Word of God would never come away from the Bible with that impression in their mind unless they were taught that beforehand. And we need to understand when it comes to, to this gift of God, we need to understand what God intended. He gave us something. It's the only thing this side of heaven that is eternal. Now, the Word of God is eternal. These physical books are not. But, but the truth of this book is eternal. And these are the only things that we know that are eternal this side of heaven. Because everything else is so temporary. Eternal life is a gift from God. It's not something that we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's not something that we pay for. It is just something that God gives. It is a gift. It was purchased by Christ. Look at John chapter 10 before we go to the next point. John chapter 10. We started in John 3, so just move over a few pages. Notice in John 10, in verse 28, Jesus made a wonderful comparison. He says in verse, let's back up to verse 27. He says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I like how he said, I know my sheep. He knows all those that have received his gift, the gift of God. In verse 28 it says, and I give unto them what? Eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Why did he talk about being plucked out of his hands? Because our eternal life is being held together by God, not by us. We cannot be plucked out of his hand. He said, my father, which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Then he said, I and my father are one. So you have the hands of God holding you, and you have nothing to worry about. Eternal life is a gift from God. Notice, if you will, that number two, eternal life is in Jesus Christ, and it must be received. And so it cannot be earned. I want to show you that. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Notice in verse 12. He says here in John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. This morning we talked about salvation being the work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit within us, not something we do. It's not our work. Look what the Bible says in verse 13. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Think about it. Born of God. That is a birthing process. That is something that God does within us. It's not something that we ourselves can do. Being born of God. This is the gift of God. This is salvation. This is that regeneration that we were talking about this morning. And it's eternal. Now go with me, if you would, to... 
1 John chapter 5. 1 John, closer to the end of the, of the Bible, near Revelation. 1 John chapter 5. And notice, if you would, verse 11. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. So according to John chapter 1, we receive the Son, and then we receive that authority or that power to become the sons of God. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are receiving eternal life. That comes through the forgiveness that Jesus grants to us through His blood that was shed on the cross. Notice in verse 12, it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's why you can't have eternal life just by trying to be good. You can't have eternal life just because you put your name on a church roll. You can't, be, you can't have eternal life just because you, you are religious or because you attend church. Eternal life comes through Jesus Christ and that relationship that we begin when we receive Him as our Savior. I was talking to a young man one time and I said, are you saved? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? He said, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm saved. I go to church. I said, man, that's great. I'm glad you go to church and you're interested in spiritual things. And that's wonderful. I said, but you know, going to church and being saved really are two two separate things. So you probably could tell me when you went to church last, you know, last Sunday or whenever. I said, but when did you get saved? Oh, he said, I, uh, probably when I was baptized. I said, okay, that's great. I, I, I'm glad you got baptized. I said, when did you get baptized? Was that recent? He said, well, I, I got baptized when I was a baby. And I said, wow, that's wonderful. I said, how do you know that you were baptized as a baby? He said, well, my mother told me. I said, well, that's, look, that's, I'm glad to know that your family is interested in spiritual things. I said, but you know, that's really not something you had a choice in the matter about. You know, that was done for you, and then later you were told about it. And I said, you know, that being good, that doesn't, that doesn't replace the relationship that you need to have with Jesus. And I read him these verses. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I said, salvation is in Jesus. I said, tell me, when did you receive Jesus? He couldn't answer. Because he didn't know. Because he had never received Jesus. No one had ever talked to him like that before. He just thought because he grew up in church and was baptized as a baby and he went once in a while and tried to be good, he assumed that he had it all together. You know, a lot of people think like that. We found out this morning that's not the case. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. It's the gift of God. It must be received. When we receive Jesus we get that gift of eternal life. Know this verse 20 in the same chapter, 1 John chapter 5. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You know, that's what I stress to that young man. What you need is you need your own relationship with Jesus. You need to make your own decision to receive Him as your Savior. And I said, no one can do this for you. This is not something your your parents can do for you and tell you about it. This is something you have to do. You have to understand and you have to choose for yourself to accept Jesus as your Savior. And when you do, look what you get. Eternal life. It is in Christ. Isn't that a great promise from the Word of God? Eternal life is a gift from God. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. When we receive Him, we receive eternal life. Number three, notice eternal life then can never be lost. We looked at John 10, 28 a moment ago. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at a couple of verses there. Beginning in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Notice, reserved in heaven for you. He's talking about what Jesus gives us in eternal life. In a way, you could, you could refer to it as reservations in heaven. Notice he said, reserved in heaven for you. But what group is he talking to? Who is salvation reserved in heaven? Who is that for? Look at verse 5. You who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what he's saying is, those of you that have received Christ as your Savior, those of you that have trusted the Lord, he said, you have salvation. Notice in verse 5, you are kept by your power? No. He said, you're kept by the power of God. Boy, that's comforting. You know, it's not me holding on to Him. (laughs) It's more like Him holding on to me. And that's a lot better because he's got a better grip than I do. You know, I I might have a bad day. I might have a weak moment uh, like Peter did. You know, we're, we're but flesh. And I'm glad tonight to know that eternal life, my salvation, does not depend on my ability to hold on to him. But it, it hinges on his ability to hold on to me. Isn't that good? The Lord's never lost a patient. He's never lost a a follower. Well, we look here and we see that God is keeping us. Our salvation is reserved by Jesus Christ. It is kept by His power, and His power is definitely sufficient. It's not kept by my power. It's not kept by my ability to do right. 
It's not kept by my track record or my consistency or anything else. It's kept by His power. Eternal life can never be lost because it is kept by the power of God. There's a couple of uh, verses in Ephesians I'd like for us to look at. Notice Ephesians chapter 1. If you go back a few pages, Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 13. The Bible says for us there in, in verse 13, um, verse 12 says that we should be the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. He's making a reference there to the time of our salvation. Verse 13, he says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, after that you believed, you were what? Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is the purchased possession? That's you. When you received Christ as your Savior, Jesus took that blood payment, applied it to your life, and you became His. He bought you. The analogy there was kind of like the old slave market. And Jesus purchased us off of the, as slaves of sin. He purchased us to Himself. The Bible refers to it as redemption. He redeemed us. He bought us back. So He made that, that purchase and then sealed you with His seal. The Holy Spirit dwells within and the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He didn't say for a time, for a while. He said until the purchase possession. Right? Until the redemption. of the. In other words, until God gets the goods. Which is going to be when you get to heaven. Hey, isn't that a comfort tonight? To know that, that eternal life can never be lost. Why? Because you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says you will be until you stand before God in heaven. That's pretty clear that God is holding on to you. He's keeping you by His power. You are sealed by His Spirit until you see Him in heaven. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and look with me at verse 30. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, again, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You're sealed until that day. That's not a temporary thing. That's a permanent seal to be kept until then. And it brings great comfort to know that that eternal life that you got when you received Jesus, He gave it to you. And you cannot lose it because you do not hold it. It is kept by His power. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and you will be until you stand before God in heaven. Isn't that good? Tonight, let's look at one more passage. There's so many of these. We could just go right through the New Testament. We could spend the rest of the evening. But for time's sake, let's look at one more. I really like this passage. It's been a great comfort because of the clarity that it gives. 
Back in the book of John, John chapter 5, one more thought about eternal life. We're just looking at what the Bible says about eternal life. It says in John chapter 5, notice verse 24. Again, Jesus speaking here. And he says in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Some of you might need to go home and read that about 10 times. I mean, it's that good. Let me show you a couple of things. Notice in verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath. Would you circle that word? This verse teaches us that eternal life, then, is a present possession. It's not something we hope to get. It's not something we hope to gain. It's not something that we look forward to that's promised us in the future. When you receive Jesus Christ, you have eternal life right now. It's a present possession. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Oh, that's good. If you ever needed a verse to give someone assurance of their salvation, hey, here it is. Half everlasting life. That's not all. If that wasn't reassuring enough by itself, notice he goes on to say, and shall not come into condemnation. So what could you do then to lose your salvation and end up in hell? According to this verse, nothing. Because once you have eternal life, he said, you shall not come into condemnation. That's future tense. You shall not. And that's declarative. He, say, he didn't say you might not. He didn't say you hope not. He said you shall not come into condemnation. You know why? Because it's not up to you. God has already planned and predetermined this process and what it would be. He, he already calculated the transaction. And, and when you got saved, notice, notice what happens here. I, I, like to, I like to think about those old, uh, you know, those old Bugs Bunny cartoons where they get tied up on the railroad tracks, you know, and the trains are coming. And then somebody jumps out at the last minute, pulls the lever, you know, and, and the train goes in the opposite direction and you're saved. Well, that's kind of like what he's talking about here. He's talking about how you and I are lost in sin. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we're headed toward hell. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, He pulls the lever. Jesus is our hero. He changes the trajectory of our lives. And so He says we shall not come into condemnation. But what happens? The tracks get switched over. And instead now, we're headed toward heaven. Heaven is our home. And he says here that uh, in verse 24, he says, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed, there's the tracks switching, passed from death unto life. Who does that? Jesus. Jesus changes our destination. 
by forgiving us and saving us, by declaring us righteous through the payment that He made on the cross. Now look, you think Jesus did all of that to lose you tomorrow on your way to work? No. He has declared this as a permanent transaction. He did it thoroughly. He did it well. It's a permanent transaction. So he says in verse 24 that you have everlasting life. It's a present possession. Then he said you shall not come into condemnation. There's no way to change this. He said, but you are past. And I like that word. You can, you can circle it, underline it, whatever you want to do. Mark that word. You've been passed from death to life. The course of your destination has been changed by Jesus. You're no longer headed toward hell, but you are now headed toward heaven, toward life. It's eternal life. And it's available in Jesus Christ. You know, that's what was meant in John chapter 3. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, because before a person hears about Christ and receives Him as their Savior, before that, they're already lost. They're already guilty. They're already sinners. They're already headed toward hell. That's why you can't go wrong inviting them to church. You can't go wrong praying for them. You can't go wrong witnessing to them, even if you don't know what to say. You can't mess it up. They're already headed toward hell. Right? What we do is steer them then to Jesus who is able to switch the tracks. When they receive Him, they get the forgiveness of sins through the payment made in His blood. They get purchased by God the Father, adopted into the family of God. They get born again on the inside by the Holy Spirit doing that work of God within them. They are a changed creature. They are new. Their destiny is settled they are now headed toward heaven. They have eternal life at the moment of salvation. It's as if it were already there. What a powerful promise. John 5, 24 is one of those wonderful verses to share with someone who, who might be in doubt or might be struggling with knowing for sure they're saved. If they receive Christ in faith, then they are as saved as a person can be. And you know, one of the ways we gain assurance of our salvation, the confidence of our salvation, is by understanding what the Bible says about it. You know, I'm not saved because of how I feel. I'm not saved because I had a good day and I didn't get angry and I didn't have a bad thought and... I didn't hit my finger with the hammer and, you know, all of those kind of things. I'm saved because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and because I received that. And when I did, the transaction took place. It was instantaneous and it's permanent. The people who make fun of us say it like this. You believe in once saved, always saved. Well, that's really not how the Bible describes it. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of what we believe. What we really believe is that we are given eternal life. And because it's eternal, we can say always saved. 
It doesn't mean Christians become perfect the moment they trust Jesus. Well, daily evidence points otherwise. As a matter of fact, Jesus said something about that. Let's look at, go to me, go to John chapter 6, and, and let me show you that. Jesus said something about that. You know, when we get saved, we don't become perfect. Notice verse, John chapter 6, verse 63. Notice what Jesus said to His disciples. He was preaching the Word to them. He was talking about how the blood and the, and the or excuse me, the wine and the bread, how that symbolized His flesh and blood. And people had a hard time with, with, with Him saying that. If, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He was talking about, if you receive me. He was talking about His death on the cross. If you receive that payment, then He said, you know, you would be saved. Notice in verse 63, He said this. He said, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit. And they are life. So when we hear the Word of God, and God begins to do that convicting work on us, that brings us to the point of salvation and, and the work of the Holy Spirit is taking place in our life. Remember, it's our spirit that, that, is, that is quickened. And Jesus reminded us that our flesh profits nothing. Your flesh doesn't get saved. And by the way, you still have that carnal nature within you after you get saved. You still struggle with wrong thoughts and wrong desires and all of that. That's why the Bible teaches us to begin to walk in the Spirit. That's why God teaches us new behaviors and, and new activities and new things to do, things to not do, and things to do after we come to know Christ as our Savior. It's, it's, a, it's a process for us after that instant transaction where God purchases us and, and births us into His family, then we begin the process, right, of living up to who we are in Christ after that. We begin the process of learning those new things that the Bible tells us of. But Jesus reminded us that it's not our flesh that gets saved. That's why we struggle. Read Romans chapter 7. Paul the apostle said that he had that inward battle going on constantly. And he said, you know, sometimes I, I do things that I would not. And sometimes the things uh, that I would not, he said, that I do. So it goes both ways. We, we do what we're not supposed to do sometimes. And sometimes we don't do what we are supposed to do. And we have that struggle. Somebody said, what, what is that? It's, he, 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 I remember an old-time old preacher said, it's, it's like having a, a black dog and a white dog, and they're fighting together. Which one's going to win? He said, well, the one you feed the most. And you know, you and I make daily choices. Are we going to feed our flesh or are we going to feed our spirit? And that determines the outcome of our behavior and our lifestyle and the way we live. That determines our conduct. Think about it like this. Have you ever looked at a baby? Have you ever thought, man, I don't, ooh, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a human. Look at these babies. They just vomit everywhere. They cry out loud and disturb events and things, right? 
Yeah, we could point at little things like that and we could say, well, I don't want much. But you got to remember, that's a baby. As they grow, that behavior changes. They become more responsible. They, they, they gain more control over things, right? And, and then you understand that, that when they get bigger, those problems go away. They learn how to feed themselves. They get more food inside than they do on the wall and the floor, right? But we do the same thing sometimes when we look around at church, and, and, and sometimes people look at a baby Christian, and they see a baby Christian, Right? Burping out loud and a baby Christian making a lot of noise and a baby Christian vomiting all over the place. Well, you know what I'm talking about. They're making mistakes and blunders in their life. And, and they say, oh, if that's what a Christian is, well, I don't want no part of that. Well, you don't judge Christianity by the babies. Right? Hey, if you want to make a comparison, look at a mature Christian. And you'll see a different picture. So you don't look at a baby Christian then who's having that inner struggle and don't know how to win the battle yet. You don't look at them and say, well, they lost it. <laughs> oh, they didn't lose it. By the way, their, their flesh never got it in the first place. What was saved was their spirit. Right? And what we're seeing in their life, we're seeing evidence that they need to grow and they need to learn that they need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And they need to live for the Lord, not in order to get saved, but because they are. Isn't that good? When we're saved, remember, it's a gift of God. Eternal life is God's work. When we're saved, eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. And when we receive Him, we have it. Eternal life. It cannot be earned. It has to be received. And it can never be lost because it was never ours to hold on to. The Bible says we are kept by the power of God, not by our power. And eternal life is a present possession. It's not something I hope to obtain one day. It's not something that I live my whole life for Jesus and one day I'm going to get that eternal life. No, no. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life today. You've had it since He came into your life. When you accepted Him, you accepted eternal life at the same time. He brought it with Him. Isn't that good to know? And tonight, heaven is our home as sure as if we were there already. And all of that is true tonight because of what Jesus did for us. Thank God for that. Well, I hope these verses have been an encouragement and help to you tonight. And now I hope you'll be able to take these and share them with others so that they too might have assurance and confidence in their salvation, the hope of eternal life. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we love you tonight. How we thank you for the precious promise of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that it is a present possession. It's not something we hope for, but it's something we have in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, also that you are keeping all of this together by your power. It's not held together by our good works or our good intentions. It's not held together by, by our track record or what we can do, but it's held by your power. We thank you for that. 
What calm assurance, what comfort that brings to our hearts to know that we have something so wonderful in Jesus and we cannot mess it up. Oh, how we thank you for that, that sweet assurance. Help us as we share it with others. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.